Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where there is no offseason, and we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on September 13th, 2017, outside on a beautiful day in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Uh, This is going to be a two-parter. I'm going to do one part in the morning and then one part later because... I am, it's funny, the Red Sox played an important game in the race for the uh, American League East, of which they absolutely demolished the Oakland A's 11-1, and the New York Yankees playing in City Field because of the horrible hurricane that's sweeping through Florida right now, the move the Tampa Bay game to... Why did they move it to Yankee Stadium? I don't understand. But they moved to the city field. And I have to say, I'm. <clears throat> this is going to sound like morbid on top of morbid because they're, talk- they're there because of a hurricane. Um, I am glad that there was a game being played in New York on September 11th. I always think there should be. We're, we always have a Red Sox game on Patriots Day. We should always have a Yankee or a Met game scheduled on September 11th in New York. But that's neither here nor there. Um, and you had a very exciting game there, which is a two-to-one final. And you had critical games being played. The Brewers staying in both. You know, amazingly, the Brewers are both in the National League East and the wild card race. You had a big game with the Cardinals. You had the Twins setting a major league record where they hit a home run in each of the first seven innings uh, against the San Diego Padres. Uh, the Cardinals won a big game. Diamondbacks and the Rockies are playing a gloriously exciting series, of uh, which you've had two straight games where the Rockies have held on at the very end. You had the Astros and the Angels play a one nothing, you know, nail biter, of which Justin Verlander basically showed his worth in one game. And of course, you had the bananas. Dodgers versus the Giants game, which is a 5-3. The Dodgers finally snapped their 11-game winning losing streak, sorry. Um, but it was not without incident. They had the bases loaded and one out and Buster Posey at the plate. And you know if he hit a uh, shot into the gap, he probably would have cleared the bases and would have won the game for the Giants. But Jansen got the save. Kershaw got the victory there. And the Dodgers, you know, who fans were panicking just a couple of, you know, just a day or so ago, they clinched a playoff spot and the Dodgers magic number is down to eight. So maybe Dodger fans can exhale a little bit and realize, well, you know, the, the, they'll be ready for the postseason. And yet with all of those games, <clears throat> including games involving my team directly, the game that I could not flip away from, the game that just got my should get everyone's attention what's going on in Cleveland and what they're doing and you know I picked the Indians at the beginning of the year there's no way you could have predicted something like this I mean they've been a strong team most of the year and they got off to a slightly disappointing start and it looked like maybe the Twins and the Royals may give them a run for the American League Central and now they're they're running away with it but my goodness to to win 20 games in a row. 20 games in a row. They haven't lost a game since the 
since the middle of August. And someone pointed out on the Indians radio uh, broadcast of the game that I was listening to that they've actually won more games in September than there are days in the month so far in September because they played a doubleheader and they won both of those games too. And they've not just been winning the games, they've been bludgeoning them. And they've not just been winning the games, they've been winning the games in a manner where Francona has been able to rest his starters, to take his starting players out, to not wear people down to the bone. And they're doing this without Jason Kipnis, without Andrew Miller, without Michael Brantley. I mean, can you imagine, oh man, if they get Brantley, Miller, and Kipnis, uh, they could be better. Yeah, yeah, maybe they'd get on a roll. Maybe they would get on a decent run. They've won 20 games. This was what the great climax of, of Moneyball, the Scott Hatterberg home run. 20 wins in a row. They've matched it. And in a matter of hours, in hours, geez, it's 8.30 in the morning right now that I'm recording this. Around 9, 10 in the morning, California time, they're playing another game. And this is, again, why all hail baseball there's no rest for the weary. We had this incredible night of baseball, and you know, less than 12 hours after it's all ended, guess what, folks? We're back at it. <laughs> Saddle up. There's more going on. This morning, starting at 9 in the morning California time, the Cleveland Indians could set an American League record for consecutive wins. They have a shot today. And who's their starting pitcher? Their starting pitcher today is, hold on, let's go to MLB. They're, they're starting Clevenger against Farmer. Now, the Tigers are terrible. They've, they've waved the white flag. And the Indians are obviously terrific. They're going to make a run for it. And last night you had Corey Kluber, who, <clears throat> all due respect, excuse me, a little cough there, all due respect to Chris Sale. Uh, Corey Kluber is the Cy Young Award winner. I mean, if you like win-loss record, he's 16-4. If you like ERA, it's 2.44. But, you know, just on a day like this, he comes out and he throws a complete game shutout, strikes out eight batters, doesn't walk a single batter. He's just a tremendous big game pitcher. And he came through. And he's the one who, you know, you would never know we won a big game after last night because he has this, you know, placid expression on all the time. But let's not, no, no matter what happens, and if you are, when you hear this, you already know whether or not the Indians have 21 wins or 20 wins. But let's just savor this for a second, shall we? Let's savor how remarkable it is in baseball where basically... Your goal is not to win every game in baseball. I mean, yes, theoretically it is, but, you know, it's the Casey Stengel line of, of we're not trying to win every game, just two out of every three, which is right. I mean, if you, if you win two out of every three games, then you're, you'll win 108 ball games. I mean, that's, 108 is an elite number of games to win. That's like all time. So if you win two out of three games all the time, you know, in that general ballpark, you're going to be a 100-win team and people are going to be the outcome. 
So to go at a point where if they win this afternoon, they'll have played three weeks without losing. Three weeks of baseball where it's not like, hey, you know, a terrific week is, you know, you win five games and you lose two, or you go five and one, or you go four and one. To go on and say 21 and 0. It's always a good point in the season to win 21 straight games. But to do it leading into the postseason, again, I'm not a big believer in momentum. I'm not. I'm not a big believer that what happens in September affects what happens in October. I think we've seen that it doesn't. But one thing that this does do, and the way that they've been winning, they've been winning with big offensive numbers. They've been winning with spectacular defense. They've been doing it with just tremendous starting pitching and lockdown bullpen. It's not one person carrying the day. It's not the offense just bludgeoning them winning a bunch of 14 to 11 games. It's that everything's clicking. Now, if they had lost a game or two, or if we looked up and said, man, they've, they're, in their last 20 games, they're 17 and 3. I think it would have the same effect that you would look at the team and say, wow, they're firing in all cylinders. The fact that they're 20 and 0 makes it a national story. But the actual analysis of what's going on going into October is this team's ready. Everything's working. Now, of course, I've talked about the narrative, and there are the two narratives that could come about. They could win today, or even if they don't, they won the 20 games, they've matched the money ball A's. And if that happens, you know, and the streak ends today, fantastic. That links these two teams forever, and the next time someone has 19 wins, they'll show the clips from Moneyball, and they'll show the clips of this team. Now, of course, the Moneyball A's in 2002 lost the division series to Minnesota, a team that, frankly, had no business being on the field with the A's, but they were the ones who advanced the league championship series. And there are people who think that, oh, they peaked. They peaked during the winning streak. As if they should have lost a couple of games there. As if wins are like pie. And there's only so much you can get. And of course, if the Indians go on to win the World Series, people will point to this winning streak and say, no, from that moment they showed the world that they were unbeatable. And of course... It's all the narrative that's written afterwards. I would love to see the Indians. In fact, when you take a look at the teams that are in contention, I'm, I'm in no mood to see the Cubs win back-to-back World Series. I clearly don't want to see the Yankees win the World Series. I'm fine if the Nationals win. I mean, of the teams, not the Red Sox, the Nationals will be the team I'd probably root for the most. A, because of my love for Dusty Baker and also friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle. The Indians would be a close second. And then everyone else, if it's the Twins, fine. If it's the Angels, great. It's a title for Mike Trout. If it's the Brewers, if it's the Cardinals, if it's the Dodgers, whomever it is, I have no problem. I have no problem with them winning. The Indians winning a championship, especially on the heels of what happened last year, it would make what happened last year a positive thing. Much like how the Royals winning the World Series in 2015 made the near miss in 2014 a positive thing. 
They, it, like, it would erase negativity. That's how big a world championship be for the Indians. And let's face it, right now, not even based on the 20 wins, just based on you're going to start Kluber, okay? Then you go Carrasco. Man, he's been pitching really well. Then you're going to pitch Bauer. He's been pitching quite fine. Then you got their bullpen. Then you got their lineup. And even the outside chance you add Brantley and Kipnis to it, you have this incredibly deep lineup and a bullpen which is completely locked down. What team in the American League is going to stop them? The Red Sox play them quite well. The Astros are a talented team. But right now, I would pick the Indians over any other team in the American League. And at this point, they seem that the two teams that are firing on all cylinders right now are Washington and Cleveland. And I wonder, you know, there's one common narrative you hear a lot, which is a team that wins the division by a lot didn't have the drive, the momentum behind them. That they had to shut it down and they'd pick it back up. I wonder if this 20-game win streak keeps the team sharp and makes them even more dangerous going into October. Again, all narratives are written in retrospect. But this Cleveland Indian team, I want us to savor this. Something really great is happening. And while it's happening, don't wait for history to sit back and say, oh, wasn't that great? Enjoy it now. It could be continuing or it could be over by the time you listen to this podcast. Savor it. By the way, I want to say one thing. I'm going to say two other things before I shut down part one of today's podcast. Um, First of all, I was on, uh, my friend Ed had me on the Baseball PhD podcast. I'm going to put a link to it on, uh, on the Twitter and it's available on i on is it iTunes now or is it Apple Podcasts? I can I can never remember the rebranding. Anyway, uh, I was on there. We talked about the Cardinals. We talked about the Indians. We talked about the Nationals. We had a great conversation. Now Ed is a big, huge Cleveland Indian fan, and he said that you know the one thing that he regretted, of course, about last year the Indians coming short was Corey Kluber had his chance to be. Bob Gibson, and he came up one game short because they they handed him the ball in Game 7 of the World Series, and he did not pitch well in Game 7, and of course the Indians lost the game in extra innings. I want to say something, and it's going to be sacrilegious to some people, because you're not allowed to, to ever say that anything that happens now is as good as or better than anything that happened in the past. That's part of the whole nostalgia vortex. Pitchers and dominating starters today have a harder road to hoe to dominate a postseason than Bob Gibson did and Sandy Koufax did in their day. And again, I I can hear podcast people turning off the listening to me right now, but I'll say it. You know, Gibson and Koufax, the way they dominated the postseason as pitchers uh, between 64 and 68, or really between 63 and 68, where Koufax was the MVP of the World Series in 1963 and 1965, 
Uh, Gibson was the MVP of the World Series in 1964 and 67 and would have been if Kurt Flood didn't trip in center field in 1968. The whole idea was those are World Series where these two pitchers basically picked the team, put them on their shoulder, and ran. And the one World Series in that stretch that I didn't mention was 66 where the Dodgers lost to Baltimore. Koufax pitched quite well. His defense betrayed him and the Dodgers' bats went dead against Baltimore. So that was the one exception. But there was that stretch of time, especially a stretch of time where baby boomers were watching TV, where Koufax and Gibson were the story and they dominated the postseason. And that's true. They did. There's no getting around the fact that they did. And they did sometimes on short rest and everything like that. But remember this. Last year, Corey Kluber threw solid game against the Red Sox in the Division Series, against Toronto in the ALCS, and two in the World Series against the Cubs. He made six postseason starts. In those other years, Gibson would make three. Koufax would make two or three. He made two in 63. Those other pitchers didn't go through the gauntlet of a division series, a league championship series, and a world series. I would argue that what Madison Bumgarner did in 2014 is more impressive than what Gibson did in, say, 67, or Koufax did in 65. Again, sacrilegious to say. But Bumgarner threw a complete game shutout in the wildcard game. He actually lost a game to Washington in the division series. Threw two excellent games in the uh, league championship series against St. Louis. Started two excellent games against the Royals in the World Series. and came out of the bullpen to throw five shutout innings to clinch it. That's right there. That's seven games that he pitched. Only one of them was bad, and that bad one was, quite frankly, bad defense. He didn't pitch that badly. It just, you know, the law of averages caught up with him. Just like the Minnesota Twins beat Sandy Koufax one game in the 65 World Series. Just like the Yankees beat the Bob, beat Bob Gibson in one game of the 1964 World Series. When you see a pitcher dominate a postseason the way Cole Hamels did in 2008 with the Philadelphia Phillies, the way Josh Beckett did with the Boston Red Sox in 2007. Oh, wait, uh, Hamels was 2008. When you see a pitcher dominate like that and have to do it for multiple rounds with different opponents, in many ways, that is more impressive. In many ways... That makes me go, ooh, look at what they did. Beckett threw a complete game shutout in game one against a very good Angels team in 2007, was the league championship series MVP against Cleveland with his two huge wins, including one with the team on the verge of elimination, and then one game one against the Rockies where he totally dominated the postseason. He totally dominated game one. That's four starts against three different opponents. And he dominated every single time. 
you know, when Cole Hamels won his game against Milwaukee, won two games against Los Angeles, and pitched dominance in two games against Tampa Bay in 2008, that's five starts right there. Five. You know, Tim Lincecum had, well, he had, he had dominated against the Braves, won a huge game, won, he won three gigantic games against, in the 2010 postseason. He won one game where the offense picked him up, and he lost another game where he dueled with Roy Halladay, by the way, a pitcher who threw a no-hitter that postseason. So when you look at the postseason dominance that certain starting pitchers have in recent years, I will point to those faster than I will point to the dominance of a Koufax or a Gibson, as sacrilegious as that may be. Because you can have one team's number. Bumgarner had four teams' number in 2014. And he could have gone another couple innings in that game seven if need be, if it went into extras. So, Corey Kluber last year, I would say, matched as many great starts. Okay, maybe he didn't throw the complete game shutouts that Koufax and, and Gibson did, but guess what? The Indians had a lockdown bullpen. The need to throw complete games is not there anymore. So, let's... I'm not always one to be drawn into the nostalgia's vortex. They're like, oh, only things that happen for baby boomers are the only things we're supposed to consider to be great. Kluber had a great postseason last year. And if he buckles up and and helps the Indians win the World Series and win some games along the way, I want his name brought up as a big-time, big-game pitcher. Because he's showing his mettle. By the way, I want to talk briefly about the fact that I had done a podcast where I had weighed the pros and cons of a having ties in baseball. That there are times you can maybe convince me that that's not a bad idea. That you could say, do you know what? It doesn't make sense to blow out a pitcher's arm in the middle of June or July. You know, what's the point? In front of like ten, you know, in front of ten people left in the stands, and you're having infielders throwing on the mound, and you're you have some poor schmuck middle reliever having to go four or five innings when they're not ready to do that. I, I, you could, you could convince me that that may not be a bad idea. I do like games going to extra innings, but I understand that there may be logistical issues or anything like that. But last night there was a game of the absolute absurdity of an extra inning matchup that just kept going and going and in fact had a moment where it looked like it was over and then it kept going again and it looked like it was over and there you go. It was between the Marlins and the Phillies and it went 15 innings. Now here's an interesting thing about the Marlins and the Phillies. The Marlins are, are they still in it? Okay, technically, technically, if they went on an Indians-type rally and everyone ahead of them collapsed, they have an outside chance of winning the wild card. Their magic number is seven 
to be eliminated from that. The they're eliminated from the NLEs. They don't really have a shot. The Phillies are one of the worst teams in baseball. This is a game that has no bearings on the postseason, no bearings on seedings in the postseason. It is a classic play out the string. Are there minor leaguers on the bench? Give them a chance type of game. And it went 15 innings. And in fact, there was a moment in the game where the the Marlins had the lead in the ninth, Phillies tied in the ninth, Marlins had the lead in the tenth, Phillies tied in the tenth, and in one of the extras, I think it was the 12th or 13th inning, the uh, Phillies scored the winning run, and they had a giant celebration. You know, because you win an extra inning game, even if it's a meaningless one, it's like, hey, we showed, we, you know, we gutted this one out. And they went to replay, and they said, no, 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 the guy was actually out at home. The, guy, the catcher made the tag. And so they had to, the players had already had their moment of exhale. They've already had their moment of yelling and whooping in relief. And they had to go back and play. But before they had to play, the poor grounds crew had to go clean up all of the, the stuff that the players had thrown on the field in celebration. Like, they, they, they had a big thing of, like, bubble gum and, 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 like, sunflower seeds that they just threw all over the place that they had to clean up, that they had to hit a giant reset. And at one point, when, when I saw that that was happening, while all these other amazing games were going on, I, that's always when you're Commissioner Manfred, you say, you know what? F it. It's a school night. It's a school night in Philadelphia. This game is meaningless. Tie. It's a tie. Go home. Everyone go home. The standings and the the playoffs will not be affected. Just go home. Now, they didn't. And the fans stayed. And they won in the 15th inning. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you right here and now, if I were the Phillies front office, I am at every exit at the end of that game. And... Everyone who is leaving gets a card, a coded card, saying, bring this to the ticket office and you get one free ticket for a game in 2018. That if you're in the ballpark on a Tuesday night in the middle of September with a team out of it playing not exactly a natural rival for Philadelphia, and you stayed for the end of a 15-inning game, you are coming to a game on the house. Absolutely. You deserve that. I mean, that, that, I, I do think that teams should do that. You know, if, if you were past the 15th inning in a game, get the people out there. Get the people at the exits and say, do you want after 15? Or there will be something. Maybe after 12. Maybe that's the new rule. After 12... You, you have the people, when you're at the exits, you get your card and say, you stayed. You stayed. Here's your coded card. This is worth, for everyone there, it's worth one ticket for next year. For the next season, you get to go to one game on the house. And there you go. That, to me, makes sense. That to, and maybe there, maybe there's certain restrictions, like if it's... You know, like a Yankees or Cubs or Red Sox, a team that tends to draw, whatever it is. It can't be one of those, or whatever it is. But that should be a rule. That should be a rule that if you stayed that long for a game, 
You know what? You deserve it. Maybe that will make it so you have those big, long-ass games like the twenty, the 19 or 20-inning game, however long it was for the Red Sox the other day. There will be more fans in the stands who say, hey, 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 we could see a walk-off win and get a free ticket. And even if we don't see a walk-off win, we get to go to another game eventually. In a way, that is thanking the fan for, you know, if it's an 18-inning game, you've basically stayed there for two games anyway. So, give that some thought. Anyway, I'm walking back to my house. Pretty soon the Tigers are going to be playing the Indians, and we're going to see whether or not the streak has continued. No, I don't. Your people in the future, I'm here in the past. So, I'll catch you at the end of the afternoon. Okay, that happened. The Cleveland Indians won their 21st strike game. That is a new American League record. The American League has been around since 1901, and no team in the American League has ever won 21 straight games until this afternoon. And it happened. The Indians won. They got it. They jumped ahead to a 3-1 lead early, and they held on. And it was, you know, the Tigers played well, but the, the Indians won. 21 straight games, which means um, that they are a 90-win team. The Indians are a 90-win team right now. That means right now their magic number is down to four. So if they win 94 games, no matter what anyone else does, they are the champions of the American League East. But there's another number I'm looking at right now. Sully, the only thing that matters is the world championship. Yeah, I know, but they can't win that now. And I want to tell you something here. Now, I'm going to go to the schedule. Now, tomorrow, hold on a second, hit the wrong button there. Tomorrow, the Indians play Kansas City. That's interesting. They play Kansas City. And they play them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, do they have a doubleheader? And then on Sunday. There you go. If they sweep, if the Indians sweep the Kansas City Royals, then they will have 25 wins. Why is that significant? The all-time winning streak record is held by the 1916 New York Giants, who finished the season with 26 consecutive wins, 26 games without a loss, and that is, by the way, that is an absolutely bizarre, surreal team that was the 1916 New York Giants, because uh, you know, just take into account the fact they had a 26-game stretch where they didn't lose a game, and notice how I'm phrasing that, that's going to come up a little bit of what I'm talking about here. So, I'm taking out a pen here because I can't do math. So, they won 26-0. And they also... Take the pen cap out of your mouth, Sully. the hell's the matter with you? Um, they also had a 17-game winning streak. Isn't that interesting? They had a 17... They had a stretch where they were 17-0 and a stretch where they were 26-0. That's, that's, those are two outstanding stretches. 
but they finished in fourth place. They finished with a good record, 88 and 64, but they finished in fourth place. Now stop and think about what that means for a second. Let's go 88 um, minus 17 minus 26. That means in the other games that weren't those winning streaks, they were 45 and 64. So they had two massive winning streaks, and for the rest of the team, they were first three, they were twenty some odd games under five hundred. That's a weird year, but I'll tell you something. That's the record, that's the standard, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, and let me explain to you why. Because in nineteen twenty six, the Giants, who had that that streak at the end of the year, it wasn't twenty six consecutive wins. There was a tie. They they had 12 consecutive wins and then 14, then a tie and 14 consecutive wins. Yes, those are two tremendous streaks to have next to each other, but on the second end of a doubleheader against the Pirates on September 18th, it was called, I believe, for darkness, 1-1. And that was that was it tie game and they played two games the next day and they swept that and they swept the Cubs and they swept the Cardinals and they swept the Cardinals again and they swept the Braves and that but it was a 12 game and a 14 game streak interrupted by a tie I don't think that should count as a 26 game winning streak that's a 26 game not losing streak but here we go so the the right now the Indians are tied with the Cubs of 1935 who won 21 straight games the 1880 Chicago White Stockings my god we're talking about teams president Rutherford B Hayes was there and they won 21 straight games but do you know what they were <laughs> they were again had a tie in the middle of it. And the New York Giants of 1916 had a tie. So if they win tomorrow against KC, then they move ahead of the Cubs and they move ahead of the White Stockings teams of 1880, of which the only team left, the only hill left to climb, would be the 26 Giant, or the, the 16 Giants with their 26 wins. But I think they've already done that. Winning 21 consecutive games is more impressive to me then a 12-game winning streak, a tie, and a 14-game winning streak. Those are two different streaks, albeit tremendously impressive. But what the Indians have done is better, which is why I want the Indians to win their next six games. I want to put a fork into any, well, you know, I don't want to be the well, you know, guy. This is getting me close to getting well, you know. I hate the well, you know, guy. But it comes to the point that, well, you know, the Indians, second only to the New York Giants of 1916, well, you know, they had a tie. I don't want to do that. And here's what the Indians have to do. They have to sweep four games from the Kansas City Royals. 
Not an easy task because the Royals are not a bad team. The Tigers are a bad team. Sweep four games from the Royals, and then who do they play next? Then they have an off day, mercifully. Then who do the hell do they play next? Then they go. Then they come to Anaheim. So sweep. If they sweep the four-game series from Kansas City, they'll get them to one game behind the fraudulent 1916 New York Giants. And then if they take the first two games in Anaheim, then they have the record. Then there's no questioning. There's no asterisks. Nothing. Nothing. It's asking a lot from a team that's already won 21 games. They have already set the standard in the American League, but this way, the, the, the standard for all time is now really sloppy. Two teams that have ties in the middle of their streak, they win, they win tomorrow, it's really, then they're in second place all time, no questions asked. I'm asking the questions. I like clean records. That's one reason why, you know, when you start having things being complicated, that's why I like to, you know, one reason I'd like to see the Washington Nationals win the World Series. Another reason I'd like to see the Milwaukee Brewers win the World Series. So when we can say, when was the last time Milwaukee had a World Series championship? The answer is the 1957 Braves. For Washington, it's the 1924 Senators. The Senators, the Braves, and I don't know. Have it be easy. Washington Nationals, Milwaukee Brewers, have the Brewers win a title, have the Nationals win a title. It's easy to explain now. And it's easy to explain if the Indians sweep Kansas City and take the first two games in Anaheim, what team had the longest winning streak in Major League history? The 2017 Indians with 27 wins in a row. No caveats, nothing. Just pure this. I don't even know what this is, but it is there. You cannot deny this. This. So, anyway. Well, there you go. Go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Celebrating 21 wins. You've got 21 This has been the Sully Baseball Podcast for What the Hell Day Is It? It's the 13th day of September 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. You know what? Call me Sully.